Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Only Podcast. My name is Austin Smith. Join as always, whoa, I'm your co-host, Austin Smith. Join as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at Believe Network. Guys, this is the last of the major pro sports leagues kickoff windows. The last major pro sports league kicks off this week. And BetOnline is your top spot for all your NBA action this season with MLB postseason, NFL and college football, and NHL in full swing. BetOnline is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Get everything NBA at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access for every sport anytime. Head to Bet Online today to get in on the action. Don't forget to use promo code Believe. That's B L E A V to receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. John, another season that kind of kicked off this weekend is where we're going to start. Tipped off. Ah, great point. It's not football. Tipped off. Michigan State basketball is back. Skitball. And it's a lot of familiar faces. How are we feeling? Um, feeling as good as you can be, I think, going into a preseason. You got depth. You've got exciting young new talent to get to know. You've got some familiar faces that you're hoping take a leap. It's got everything. You, you got to feel pretty good about it. And um, undoubtedly, you know, going to go through the same general uh, story arc of a basketball season if i know my tom Izzo novels well mm-hmm. and um <laughs> that's okay but it may have a uh we're hoping a, a finish that is a little closer to what we've been expecting under tom Izzo. but we're getting way ahead of ourselves i guess with that but what do you way say ahead. what do we say we talk about the roster overall and um and what we can expect from that roster. And then we'll jump into some of the exhibition results, gave us a nice little preview of what's to come, talk about the schedule, and then uh, we'll preview how we feel the season's going to go. Like, does that work? I think that's a great idea. Let's do uh, it. Dive let's right talk, into the old roster. Let's start static starting five, because it looks like the backcourt is very comfortably A.J. Hogard, Tyson Walker, and Jaden Akins. Um, all three of which tested the waters of taking off um, to pursue basketball at other locations, which is totally cool. Um, much cooler was that they all decided to come back. And I'd like to think it was because they tasted, you know, what could become something great towards the end of last season and wanted to see if they could see it through. Um, so that backcourt, Austin, I would say is one of, if not, depending on how things play out, one of the best in the country. Um, Mm -hmm. Despite having maybe only one NBA true prospect of the three of them, they're just an incredibly solid college basketball backcourt. And as you and I know, it's what you need uh, to make a run. Yeah. I mean, the, the phrase that rings true every single year is guards win in March. Just happens. That's what happens. Great. You need great guard play. Bigs are great. Wings are great. 
typically the team that wins has them all, but it's led by, you know, a couple of really good, typically veteran guards that, that can get you over the hump. And like you said, MSU has those in spades and Hoggard, Hogard. I don't know why, like his fifth year, I'm like mispronouncing his name before the season, but AJ Hogard, Tyson Walker and Jay Nakins all, you know, really probably could be running their own backcourts across the country. Um, and like you said, they're coming back for, for two reasons. One, I think, is sort of the reason we all want to believe is the only reason, which is they know they can do some serious damage this year and aren't happy with the results they've had the previous two, despite making it to the Sweet 16 last year. I think the other part is, you know, they just got honest feedback from NBA scouts. And this is the part of the process that I don't think Michigan State fans are overly comfortable with, even though it's been like this for quite some time. Um, but you have guys that are borderline NBA talents or even international level talents that are, you know, juniors, seniors, whatever, they're going to do this and test the waters. It's good for the health of the program. It's good for the growth of the player. Like, so it, it shouldn't surprise or concern anybody that that happened. I think it's a pleasant, what is a pleasant surprise is that not only did they all come back, but nobody transferred. Um, MSU is mm -hmm. one of the only on, is one of only 33 programs of 361 that didn't take on a transfer. I don't know how many they are or how many there are that didn't lose a transfer, but I have to imagine the number is also fairly slim. And yeah, uh, in this day and age, it, it is honestly a bit of a surprise that that's, that's the case for Michigan state. So uh, that backcourt really sort of defines the team. And then I think, you know, the, it's interesting to then look at the front court because the front court, while there are two names you're very used to as an MSU fan at the, probably the starting four and five, I think there's a lot more potential for turnover and um, splitting of duties uh, in, in that group. And I think you saw it as we dive into the Tennessee game here in a second, Tennessee exhibition, um, that there's going to be a lot more mixing and matching up front. But the starters are Malik Hall and Matty Sissoko. John, how are we feeling about that group? Uh, really solid starting five, solid front court, not great. The great news about this front court is that there are young guys behind them that potentially could take the front court ceiling to a new place. Um, to be determined, you know, it's not a guarantee, but this is where you'd like to see. If Xavier Booker starts to eat into Malik Hall's minutes and Carson Cooper starts to eat into Maddie Sissoko's minutes, that's a good thing. That mm -hmm. means things are getting, the ceiling is being raised. You know, they are taking minutes from basically like above level, above replacement level players in Malik Hall and Maddie Sissoko. If these younger guys are doing that, that means that there's more potential um, to be reached. And I don't think it's maybe not absolutely necessary that that happens for this team to contend, but it certainly would make it a lot easier on this team to contend at a higher level if Carson Cooper and Xavier Booker started to chip away. But curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, I think your description of Paul and Sissoko is perfect. Like, those are solid Big Ten players. They have a ton of experience, been through the ups and the downs, lots of starting experience um and they can do a lot of good things on the floor right like maddie is a defensive presence in the paint can block a lot of shots offensively he actually has a little bit of a turnaround game but 
he's never going to be super strong with the ball in his hands. Um, and obviously isn't much of a shooter at all. So he kind of is in his role. And, he, you know, again, like the super, the hands part, I think he's, he's never going to surprise you with like a drop step, little fancy layup on the other end of the court. Now Malik Hall can do that. I think we've seen enough from Malik offensively, especially back to the basket that there's offensive upside there. Um, but I think at this point, Malik, it kind of is what he is. You know, he's been limited by injuries the last couple of years. Seems like he's lost a kind of a half step in his explosion since he came to Michigan State. Um, but he is just that solid veteran role-playing presence. The point you're making, though, I think is extremely poignant. Michigan State, if they are going to be a true surefire national championship type of team, they need Booker and Cooper to push Hall and Sissoko because on a national championship type of team, Hall and Sissoko are your sixth and seventh or seventh and eighth men. Like those are your first two front court subs and they are excellent front court subs, like, like about as good as you would get in college basketball. So it's really incumbent upon Cooper and Booker to push Izzo to have to make that decision and say, listen, I, it's an abundance of riches, you know, it's, it's a bit spoiled for choice, but like Hall and Sissoko are what they are. I think Booker and Cooper have another, definitely another gear specifically. I mean, Booker is so raw, uh, but you, you see why people are saying, oh, this could be an NBA draft pick next year kind of kid. I think Cooper, the steps he's taken since he's come on campus have been drastic for those who don't know his story. And he was, supposed to, I believe, go to, I think he was supposed to go to Ipsy Prep and then something happened where like the school closed down. And so he was literally left like without a team. I believe this is junior year, which is when most of the scouting and, and recruiting goes on. Um, and so he had to go to IMG in Florida and they didn't have a spot for him on the A team. So he played on the B team. And I know I've said on this show before, like, I can't believe we recruited a B team IMG guy when we were down in the dumps a couple of years ago, that was more of a, a damning indictment of where we felt the program was headed than it's, instead of what it actually is, which is uncovering what appears to be a diamond in the rough and a kid who played down the stretch last year and had great, great minutes and looks transformed physically this year and kind of fits all of the, it checks all the boxes for a modern day center in college basketball. So, um, those two players have physically a greater upside and uh, I think just a little bit more to their games. And so, uh, you know, listen, worst case scenario, you've got a really nice little front court rotation, Jackson Kohler out until from what reports are around Christmas, new year's time when he gets added back in, you know, it's another element that you can bring with a back to the basket guy, but front court is, uh, is promising. It really is. It's a, it's a very interesting group. Yeah, Cooper has maybe been the biggest surprise I can remember of an MSU recruit in a long time. I mean, we were talking like he has the size to be good for five fouls, and yep. that was it. And now his grasp and on the game that is moving so much faster than maybe it was against IMG B-team opponents – that's a huge leap. And mm -hmm. he has acclimated to that speed very quickly. And especially with 
guard play, you know, and a team that has been playing together and has just seamlessly entered himself. You mentioned, like, he, I think if you were to compare him versus Maddie, his feel for the game is already there, yeah. surpassing Sissoko. And that's half of being a center is if you can get a guy that can understand and feel the game the way a guard does, that's massive. So, yeah. I mean, as a, if you think about the offense, right, like it's a ton of like as the bigs run sets, it's a lot of pick and roll. You'll see like especially with these three guards, you'll see Cooper or Sissoko come up and set a set a pick right up near the top of the key and then roll off it looking for a lob or to then go set up for uh, like a feed into the post. Cooper's already better at both of those things than Maddie is. They are right now. He's got a much net more natural feel, especially on the offensive end, for how to roll. He's got. I think the biggest difference for me personally is the hands. Uh-huh. Like again, Maddie physically is imposing. He's he is a very very solid Big Ten player that can play a big role on a very good team. He doesn't have those soft hands though. He just it just doesn't. It's been his biggest knock for the last handful of years. Cooper does. And he can, and especially when you're talking about throwing up lobs to him from outside of the three-point line or posting him up down low, like, you you want a guy who's not going to turn the ball over. You want a guy who's going to catch and finish over people in the air. And I think Cooper, at this point, the, the upside with him is a step above. Again, that's not to, I'm not to trying to belittle Maddie whatsoever, but um, it's more to to express the excitement about what I think the potential for Carson Cooper Really is, and yeah, to your point, like the this the step up in competition in what like eighteen months for him to yep. get comfortable coming from that to this is it's a big testament to how hard he's worked. So whether he's backup or starter, four or five, he's a five. Uh, you know, credit to him for for making like to to unearth that is a bit like it's hard to overstate how big that can be for a basketball program to find a guy like that. Him be a contributor on a team that has national championship aspirations. Pretty exciting. Um, yeah, one, the one thing I think this team, specifically Cooper and Sissoko and Kohler, and frankly, Booker, if he wants to see the floor more, yep. defensive rebounding has taken a dip in mm-hmm. the past couple of years. And you know that has long been a program tentpole staple uh, you know, whatever you want to call it for Tom Izzo. And it's just not been dominant. It needs to become that, um, the second chance points for other teams. You, you, you put in all the work on defensive possession only to not secure the rebound. It's just like so deflating and you'll see, you know, we'll talk about the latest exhibition game. This team is not this program for whatever reason, the past couple of years simply is not getting stops and Mm -hmm. a lot of it is to do not necessarily with not is um, defensive rebound and you know you simply tighten that area up and that translates to wins and so if this group can really tighten the screws there I think Booker finds himself on the court more uh, Mm -hmm. and and same with Cooper so you start there and then like you said everything else will come naturally yeah, I mean, like you said, you got to get back to what this program's always been about, and that's kind of where it starts. And 
you know, in a way, I actually think that dovetails into talking about the exhibition uh, pretty well. So recently, I think Michigan State may have actually started a huge uh, trend, Michigan State and Tennessee, uh, with this quote unquote closed door exhibition that was very not closed door. Um, that's actually broadcast on BTN, which was a pleasant surprise. Uh, Tennessee and Michigan State, you know, Tennessee coming in uh, preseason ranked number nine in the country, Michigan State number four. They were playing uh, in what they were, uh, an exhibition game that was donating all the proceeds to the Maui Relief Fund. Um, it was pretty cool to see two coaches in Rick Barnes and Tom Izzo come together to donate to, you know, a place where they have both coached in, in Maui many, many times. So this was a very cool opportunity. And like I said, hopefully a, a trend that keeps starting because it was very cool to see two what are clearly going to be quite good teams go at it and care, like, and work through some of the wrinkles this early in the season, um, you know, with, and in a way for the fans, in a way that's not making or breaking your March resume. Uh, it was, it was <laughs> kind of nice to see. So, uh, really fun game to watch. Uh, Michigan State did end up losing 89-88. Um, a lot happened in this game. A lot happened in this game. But I think quickly to hit on your point, John, Michigan State did out-rebound Tennessee 38-31. to But you, you felt it happen a couple of times where they, they could have gotten out and made a couple of runs just by getting some stops. They just, I mean, Tennessee, I think started this game up like 17 to one. So I must, you just mm-hmm. wasn't able to lock in off the bat. And, you know, I don't, it's hard to draw too many conclusions from a, in an exhibition like this, especially when Tennessee shot the ball so well from three, especially early on, they finished 11 of 21, but I mean, I think they made like their first seven or something like that. Um, but you don't love that a senior led team comes out Mm-hmm. He gets torched right off the bat. So again, this is all catnip for Tom Izzo, but uh, it, it was a little, you know, uh, you don't want to draw too many conclusions, but a little bit concerning. But John, I, I would love your your take on the game as we kind of break it down. Uh, I'm gonna need to like chill out this year. I learned, <laughs> I learned that. I got. It, you know, it's funny. These exhibitions happen or even the preseason games happen every single year. And I'm like, oh, fun. This is fun. And I turn it on and I'm like, oh, it's an exhibition. I don't really care what happens. And probably like 60 seconds go by and I'm standing up. Like I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I am beside myself. And I'm like, it takes no time. So I realized quickly that I am in it this year. And um, yeah, I was really, really uh, disappointed. I think is the word that a team that has five upperclassmen, four seniors in Sissoko Hall, Walker and Hogard would have another team. It's one thing when another team comes in and just like make shots. The difference here was that Tennessee came out with much more energy and um, it took, I feel like it took not just a timeout, you know, from Tom at 17 to one or at nine to nothing, both of which happened to get them their heads on straight. But it also took Tennessee literally punking them, like guys clapping in our team's face, you know, like talking shit like that is they were ready. And I was shocked that a Rick Barnes team did that. I'm serious. I was yeah. like, I can't believe it. Like that is to me self-started from the so credit to the Tennessee players. I was like, well, in what world 
are you, Michigan State, a team that went 21-13 and 13 last year, deciding you get to just show up and be mm-hmm. better than anyone? Like, truly, what world? Because you haven't lived in that world before. And against a team that is as or potentially more as talented or more talented. And um, that was really disappointing. To Michigan State's credit, they it took – or you know, 40 minutes or however many minutes since the 17 to one run started to chip all the way back and tie the ball game. Credit to them for for being so resilient, um, but, but you know, ultimately falling short in a game that doesn't matter. But it was a pretty good indicator. We saw, uh, though, uh, I think what highlighted to me is the last part of the roster we didn't talk about, which was the mm-hmm. backcourt depth really was the, I think, the reason Michigan State was able to slowly chip away. Um, I'll let you expound. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And that's what I wanted to to really hit on during this game. I think, the, the to quickly wrap on your point, though, the, the senior side, right, the experience side cuts both ways. A, I'm, yeah, I'm with you. Like, very disappointing that they would come out and just kind of, like you said, get get punked right off the bat. If you look at the plus minus for the starting five, again, all of those guys that have been here at least three years, Aikens being the the youngest of them, they were all minus plus or minus for the game. Tyson Walker and Aikens were both minus nine. Hogarth is minus three. Sissoko minus 11. Malik Hall minus 21 on the day. Like, that's not how this is supposed to be happening. On the other side, I do think that that resilience and that, stick to itiveness and honestly the kind of some huge clutch plays from Hogard down the stretch speak to the upside there. Like these guys aren't going to quit. They've been in these situations before they fought back. They've won big games. Like I do think that that ultimately will be a net benefit on the season, but you know, they can't do the other stuff. Like you can't, you can't put yourself in those holes and you know, for Tom Izzo, I think this is, this game couldn't have gone any better. Like, I really, yeah. I really don't think this could have gone better. I think he's glad, if he'd be honest, that they lost this game because, you know, it gives him something to say. It's like, you guys aren't, you're not too good for this. Like, you know, this is this is the kind of, kind of team you're going to play in March, probably several times over. This is the type of team you're going to play in the Big Ten a couple times this year. Like, yeah. you're playing Duke in a couple weeks. Like, get it together. So, ultimately, I think losing this game is a, is a good thing. But to your point, I mean, I just went through the plus minus for the starters. The backups, especially those in the backcourt, if we're counting Cohen Carr in the backcourt, equally impressive the other way around. Uh, Jeremy Fears plus 13, Trey Holloman only plus one, Carson Cooper plus three, Xavier Booker plus nine, Cohen Carr plus 22. Wow. So, fi- yeah, find the axis on which this game rotated. Uh, it's number 55, Cohen Carr. Um, but to speak to that backcourt depth, I mean, Fears, we've already talked about Cooper in the front and Booker in the front court. So Fears, Holloman, and Carr, I mean, they looked like they belonged in yeah. this game. I, I mean, yeah, you know, it's funny coming in, you're kind of like, you know, they're freshmen. It's their first game. It's a big team. You know, you, you just don't know, right? Like a freshman yep. guard could come in and just get completely washed over and be overwhelmed by the moment. Fears looks ready to play. Yeah. He looks ready to play. And John, when you and I have been talking, what you've been reading online, you're like, ah, there's a lot of guard depth. Like, is he really going to get the chance to, to make an impact? If this game is any indication, no question. He can guard already. He has a clear feel for the game. 
Uh, and he looks super, super confident with the ball. He's also bigger than I thought. But like he's uh-huh. he's like a, he's not a small guard. So when people say like, oh, this is my next Mateen Cleaves, things like that, it, in all honesty, after watching one game, you know, a handful of minute, 13 minutes of him, it's it's not hard to see why people feel that way. He had two steals in this game. Um, he's, he was impressive. I was also really impressed by Holloman and the step that he took. Now, he made a really stupid yeah. mistake at the end of the game that ultimately actually cost Michigan State this game. But he was he was playable last year. But he, I think what we saw from Holloman last year is why we were thinking the things we were thinking about fears this year. You just kind of saw he wasn't super ready to take on a real role. He was out there, he's eating minutes, kind of a five fouls and maybe a play or two guy. But I think he looks like he's he's clearly made some physical changes and he looks like he's a little more ready to contribute, which again, that's that's five. If you have five plus to playable guards in college yeah. basketball, like, man, you are drowning uh, in riches. Um, but the last guy, and the one that I think was is the biggest wild card on the entire team is Cohen Carr. A couple of things. I mean, you knew right by watching his Instagram highlights and his his cutups from high school and all this stuff that this kid was a super athlete. Like the dunk he had, it was so funny. Like the dunk he had at Midnight Madness, where he took off from the free throw line, it looked yeah. so easy that I didn't realize he had jumped from the free throw line. Enough. I thought I just thought it was like, oh wow, he jumped really high, but no. Not only was he so high in the air, but he was like where Michael Jordan took off from and had to extend his arm all the way. And he was just two hand flush. No, no questions asked. That athleticism in that showed through a couple of different times in this game that were eye popping. I mean, it it translates and he does not look uncomfortable. I think he's a little raw, especially defensively. But like, I think the ingredients are all there. Maybe not this year. But as a sophomore, and I mean, if we're lucky enough to have him as a sophomore, junior, senior, even one of those years, like you're talking all Big Ten type of performer. I don't know that he can shoot yet, but this young man can fly. And it's just a menace. He had a steal in this game. He had a couple of huge dunks. And he honestly, he missed his biggest opportunity for a dunk, too. He almost absolutely crammed off of like one, two feet on one of the bigs for Tennessee. So, I mean... Again, as we looked at this team before, you're like, okay, great depth and, you know, around uh, up and down the roster. But really, like, are these freshmen going to be able to contribute? Again, one game, it's an exhibition, but it's against the top 10 team in what felt like a real game type of environment. And they not only performed, but, like, these are rotation players. And that, if anything, it raises the floor even further for Michigan State, but it also takes that ceiling up another step. And I... Yeah, it's it's hard not to get excited about the potential of this group of players and what they can do to like push those seniors to have to perform. It's like, awesome. You, you can't not perform if the if Jeremy Fears, Trey Holloman, Carson Cooper, Xavier Booker, and Cohen Carr are behind you performing. So, John, take it away. That was the best you know piece of news that you explained to me. <laughs> yes, I was like. I was just so exhausted for the first after like the 17 to one run. And I was like, same old shit. And you were like, and you were just like, dude, this year it's not because those guys 
are going to get yanked. They couldn't yeah. get yanked last year. I mean, you could do it, but it wasn't going to be pretty. And and as far as the replacement level players, now, like you said, you have guys that are coming in who can perform and are frankly fighting for those minutes and potentially deserving of chipping away at those minutes. Mm-hmm. That's new. And the depth is going to be, you know, just like, you know, in a football game, third quarter, fourth quarter, wearing down the other team. Like that's going to come to roost in January and February in those Big Ten grinder games. Like you just have more guys that you aren't rolling out there and hoping they survive their minutes. They're contributing. Yeah. And I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I think that you saw that even in this game. I mean, just yeah. based on those plus minus numbers, that's where Michigan State's going to make the difference here. You have sort of like 10 guys who can all play. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how many teams in the country have that on any given year. Like truly that can not, they can like play, you know, if, if, let's say the front first unit is a nine out of 10, the second unit is a 7.5. I, it's just not a lot of team programs that have that level of depth. And if you look back, it's like, yeah, sure. You could have sat AJ Hogard down, down the last two years, but like, who, who are you bringing in to back him up? Like there's, there was no option. And now there's a, not just a fallback, but like a, Hey, we might choose him over you if he's rolling and you're not like, there's just a level of talent on this team in depth that we haven't seen on this team uh, since I'm going to maybe take a big swing here, but since like the miles bridges, is like Jaron Jackson gears, like even Cassius's senior year, like he was just, and maybe even his junior year, like he was just so magical that he and Xavier Tillman kind of just like put the team on the shoulders and carried them to where they got. Yep. You know, he had Cueto, he had other guys, but this was, those were not deep teams. This team, is legit deep like it is legit top tier talent deep that will get minutes so i think that's the that's the thing that stood out to me and i just think like what that does from a culture perspective is enormous just enormous for the results that are demanded of these players that's what you know hopefully we see that manifest but i i cut you off sorry no you you nailed it there's um there's a couple of guys there's one guy we didn't see uh, Greg Normand, and I, I don't know if we're going to see him this year. Just, you know, he's going to be a guy that probably would have seen the floor in the past couple of years. Um, but but now this year with the depth we talked about, a freshman that can contribute on a lot of teams, um, not playing. And that's okay. Uh, and, and, you know, that it, it's, it's a testament to the depth of this team that, he won't play and i think that you talk about the depth is so solid for this part the team the one thing this team doesn't necessarily have is like the elite top level talent there's no like nba dude tyson walker might be the guy that's great um we've also seen last year when it's our guy versus another team's guy We've fallen short in those big games. So one of the reasons Tyson Walker wanted to come back, so he has a chip on his shoulder, which is great. Um, but but I just wonder, you know, what is the ceiling of Tyson Walker? Because to me, and this is this is um, 
not meant to be disparaging, but I think we've seen it. And I say that because he shanks the hell out of the ball from deep. He mm-hmm. can get to the basket, you know, and make tough shots. He's stepped up, you know, on his defensive side of the ball. He's, you know, I think he led the team in steals um, against Tennessee, very active. So that was an improvement. On the offensive side of the ball, I just don't know where you can really find more production from him because of his size. You know, where where does it come from? You know, is he going to shoot the ball from deep even better? Is he going to, you know, get more usage even though there's more depth on the team? That doesn't seem likely. You know, like, so it's not a bad thing. I just, I don't think the leap for this team is going to come from Walker going from 13 points a game to 18. Like, I, I just don't know how that happens. But it, if it does, then we got an All-American on our hands, and that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, I just I I think that if you're talking about who is that guy that that takes MSU from good to great, you know maybe there's another half step in Tyson that can make him better. I think the answer to me is fairly obvious, and it's AJ Hogarth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we we've seen he's like an angsty teen. Like we mm-hmm. see the flashes of him kind of getting it like mm-hmm. he made some huge plays it played great down the stretch against marquette he made huge plays against kansas state we saw him you know in other big games throughout the season like be the guy it's just a matter of can you remain engaged and comfortable in that role and bring it night in and night out i think that's the the biggest thing there's another there's i don't think anybody that's watched him in the last few years would argue that there is another level in there that could be borderline all big 10 type of player the type of guy that you have to game plan for when you play against michigan state like i think you can have two guys that are you know maybe not first team all americans but are borderline first team all big 10 first and second team all big 10 i think those two were actually second and third team going into this season Mm -hmm. um and so i think he is the one that makes Michigan State a superstar backcourt. He he is the one that has the potential. And you know what? To the same degree, so is Jade Nakins. Uh-huh. I mean, we I don't think we've seen nearly the player that Jade Nakins can be. And it, you know, to his credit, I think he is slightly miscast in his role. I think mm-hmm. probably in order to become that guy needs the ball more often, which is transparently why I was a little surprised that he did come back to Michigan State. It's a very, very pleasant surprise, one that I think we should all be very grateful for. But I, I couldn't have blamed him if he wanted to go somewhere and be the lead guard. But, and I don't think that's the NBA. I was thinking that's maybe another school. But either way, it shows a lot about his character that he's coming back and wants to be a part of something potentially special. But I, I think that you need the same Tyson from last year with some improvements around the edges. I agree. But you, if you're looking at guys that need to step up and improve and like be killers and go be the best versions of themselves, it is AJ and it is Jaden. I think it's AJ even more than Jaden because he's the one with the ball. Between him and Tyson, I mean, those are your guys with the ball in their hands seventy percent of the time. Like I'm, that's I, where the bur- that's where the burden falls. I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you wholeheartedly, and Tom Izzo does as well. And mm-hmm. you know, there's the old adage that if the coach stops yelling at you, you know, he doesn't care anymore. He doesn't see he can get anything out of you. Tom has been on up AJ's. Um, tail for 
<laughs> this is the fourth year. And it's because he knows that deep down in there, there is like a guy that could that could take this team to the place Tom wants. And he didn't do that. Just go look at the tape, man. Tom didn't do that to Foster Lawyer. Why? Because Foster Lawyer couldn't do that. You know, it's like, why Why scream at someone? You know, why when, when it's the person physically can't do it, right? That's just insane. It's like, AJ, it's in there. And you watch him um, improve. And I think one thing for us to watch throughout the season is AJ is now has the um, graduated to the stand on the sideline, be berated by Tom, and just put your arm around him. And, <laughs> and if, you, if AJ, watch for it. <clears throat> Beginning of the season, I'm going to predict AJ goes for it early, and Tom's going to not let it happen and continue <laughs> yelling at it through him through the, the, the side hug. You know you've arrived <clears throat> when you side hug Tom and he stops yelling at you. Because you go to him first and you explain what you did wrong and it won't happen again. Like that is the progression and all the greats have done it. <clears throat> and AJ, it's on you. It is incumbent upon you to do that uh, for this team to take the next step. That's so funny. I, it, it brings back a memory from, I think it was Miles Bridges freshman year when he walked up. I don't know if yep. anybody else remembers. He walked up I, to Izzo on the sidelines and tried to like nope. put his arm around him and be like, nope. hey man, like chill out. And Izzo literally like threw his arm off. He's like, get, out, get off me. Like, Do not you, touch me. We're not, we're not there yet, man. So yes. yeah, I think, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And I mean, listen, we've been watching Tom Izzo coach these teams for literally my entire life and which is insane but uh and how privileged are we but um so we know there's these little moments like you said that you're like okay even us at home know like all right you're in with tom type of thing so yeah i think it's a very very <laughs> observant point and i think you're right i'm gonna be looking for it now like right off the bat well here's the other one to watch for um I'm curious. He's taking it. He's going to take a different approach. I predict with Xavier Booker. He's going to doghouse this kid, and he, Xavier Booker could be having a great game, and he's going to doghouse the kid because he's going to test his metal. He's going to say like, he's going to hold Xavier Booker to a much different standard than he's holding Jackson Kohler, and because the ceiling on Xavier Booker is so much higher. Right? He's not doing it to be mean. He's not doing it. Xavier, same thing with Malik Hall. Like Xavier, he's going to do that to Xavier Booker because, dude, you're an NBA player. If you want to be. If you want to be. But if you want to be, that means you can play, take no plays off. That means you need to go find the defensive rebound. You know what I mean? Like, it's just little stuff that, frankly, a freshman shouldn't know. And he's going to doghouse him for it. And I think he even saw it in the Tennessee game. How many minutes did Booker even play? I remember sitting there and be like, oh. yes. Not not many, but he came eight. in. I mean, yeah, eight. eight. And even in those small moments, he played well. He made an impact. I mean, he made a his stroke is prettier than I would have expected. But yeah. there were also, I mean, you're so spot on. He did get three rebounds, but I, you did see him kind of like he was the only guy that I was like he thinks it's an exhibition. He was the only one where I was like, hmm, that's the stuff that we've been hearing about him maybe not being ready for bright lights, big city basketball. And, you know, listen, that's, 
The good news is that that's what you adjust to fast, fast. You don't have a choice. If you're going to play for Michigan State, if you're going to play for Tom Izzo, you're playing big basketball right away. And if you're not ready for it, he's not going to play it. doesn't matter if you're the best player on the team. He's, he's done it before where he's <laughs> infuriatingly played, you know, less. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Talented guys, or maybe that just kind of get it a little more than his most talented youngsters. Um, it doesn't let people... Honestly, if one thing Tom Izzo doesn't do, if he has the choice, is let guys work through those things on the court. Right. He, he's, he's very much like a we're taking care of this stuff in practice coach, and I'm playing the guys that can uh, that that are going to play the way I want to play, not necessarily the most talented guys. So he's done it time and time again. There couldn't be more examples of it. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. Booker's the one – again, we talk about X-Factors on this team. Carr and Booker stand out to me as like the – raising floor expectation type of guys and then Akins and Hoggard Hogard Jesus man Hogard uh are those next level starter dudes so yeah it's it's hard not to get really really excited especially as we look at you know the type of games that they're going to play here on the schedule uh in in short order that's right <clears throat> out of the gate here you know a couple tune-ups with James Madison in southern Indiana I will I just want to go on record. I'm not like calling for an upset or anything, but I'm telling you that James Madison is not awful. Uh, I I think um, it's just worth throwing out there that it is a very good test out of the gate. Um, if I recall, it should be like a top 100 team out of the Sun Belt. Um, very, their top uh, five players are or excuse me, top seven, eight players are either a junior or a senior. And wow. yeah, and um, their best player is a, a tweener, 6'6 kid named Terrence Edwards. He's probably going to average, he's going to be a first team all conference and average uh, maybe even pushing 20 points a game. So oh. it, it, it's, it, it, I just, I'm not trying to say anyone should freak out. I also think that that win, if Michigan State does win, it's, you know, who knows if they win that win may pay dividends down the road. Just throwing that one out there. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> moving on to the champions classic against Duke. Um, bright lights on that one. Obviously Duke Duke is loaded per use. Uh, they have national championship aspirations this season. Um, they got the big return of Kyle Filipowski, who is going to be one of the better uh, centers that we see this season outside of Zach Eady. Um, Jeremy Roach returns, one of the few four-year Duke players uh, to, to make it through. Um, he's going to be probably their, one of their best players and captain. Tyrese Proctor, you remember him from last year, <clears throat> and then obviously a handful of freshmen that are going to come in and contribute immediately, probably led by Jared McCain. Uh, and uh, Sean Stewart. And let's not forget our friend Ryan Young, 
who gave Michigan State the business at Northwestern mm-hmm. at one game. That was probably rock bottom for me. Oh, man, that was tough. Um, um, can't forget him. But, yeah, that's the Duke uh, roster. Duke's got a lot of size. Yep. Uh, I mean, we'll break down the team in a couple of weeks. But, I mean, this is this is a great – uh, again, like you're so lucky to be a part of this Champions Classic, but this is this is why because you got to play these great, great teams. Team with a lot of backcourt depth, like you said, Roach, McCain, both really good players. Proctor, really good player, and that frontcourt is big dudes. I mean, Philip House, they've got one, two, three. They have three seven footers and one guy that's six ten, and then two, uh, one, two, three, four others that are listed as six nine. So this is about as big a team as you're going to find. I can't imagine there's a team that has more height than that in college yeah. basketball. Um, four guys that are six nine, uh, and so yeah, it's going to be a very interesting test. I'm very excited to see this one because you know Duke isn't you're what you've seen in like typical Duke where it's all freshmen. This is a lot of returning talent, and there's a reason why they're I think number two in the country going into the season. So it's about as good an early season matchup as you're going to get. Um, followed by uh, Gavitt games against Butler, a down Butler team and candidly program. I mean, if we're going to yeah. call it, this is a program that has fallen on harder times. Um, the Big East is doing them no favors. It is one of the better, if not best, basketball conference in the country. So um, they will be tested um, by end of year, but, but certainly a, a game that looks a little cooler on paper probably. Um, other big ones, Arizona and Palm Springs, California, that'll be a doozy. Arizona <clears throat> also coming off an incredible season. Uh, they uh, fell sh- a little bit short, I think, of their expectations in the tournament, but that's kind of what Arizona does. If you remember, Caleb Love is now transferred uh, from there to Arizona, so he will lead that team. Uh, probably in scoring. They also have a seven-foot center in Umar Balo. Uh, mm-hmm. He has was a former Gonzaga um, player who transferred, I believe, with the coach uh, to to Arizona. He should be a stud and another problem for Michigan State. Arizona's yeah. a really solid team uh, in program, so another great test. Yeah, I mean, they do lose... Azulas Tubelis, who was very good for them last year. But yeah, I mean, again, it's still Arizona. It's You're going out west, you're traveling. Um, the other knock-on game to, to call out is this a game against Baylor mm-hmm. that's actually after the first two Big Ten games against Wisconsin and Nebraska that are early December. Uh, on the 16th, Michigan State's playing in Detroit against Baylor. Um you know, for all intents and purposes, kind of a home game. But, I mean, Baylor right now, in terms of programs in college basketball, is one of the elite. So, if you just look, I mean, this non-conference schedule, once again, is just pure insanity. Uh, I mean, between Duke, Arizona, and Baylor, you're talking three, I don't even have the poll up in front of me, but three of the premier programs in all of college basketball. Um and, and and I think that that kind of brings us to our final point here about basketball anyways, which is just like, that's what the expectation should be. That's the expectation for Michigan State. It always has been, but especially this year, like you shouldn't look at any of those games and feel as though your team is less than any of them. Mm-hmm. It should be the other way around or an even match. Michigan State, We've I mean, we've gone through the roster, but 
as much depth as anybody. You've got size. You have athleticism. You have seniors. You have guard play. You have shooting. You have passing. You have defense. You have rebounding. It's all there. You have one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in college basketball on the sideline. The expectation that fans should hold this program to, it should be extremely high. This is a, this is a team capable of winning the whole thing. Yeah, you you also, you know, we talk about this season being an opportunity, but you had said to me prior this this past summer that you felt like this team, this season was potentially an inflection point for the entire program for the next potentially even five years, because we do think um, we, we do think that Tom is in it, as we mentioned, you know, kind of jokingly, but maybe seriously, he's going to coach until he dies and <laughs> or or second national championship whatever comes first so um but i want to hear more about your uh, your thoughts on this being an inflection point i mean this is as you know it feels like we've said this a few times but i think this is as good a chance as michigan state has had to to truly make a national championship run as they've had in quite some time but it, it, it really is like this team on paper what we've seen through one televised game is all of the things that I just list, listed off. And Izzo knows that. But I don't think he, he is – the reason why I'm saying it's an inflection point moving forward is it can, it can reset the paradigm within college basketball. Like, MSU, if you go through the last 10, 15 years, you kind of have these ebbs and flows, right? Like, you're always in the tournament. You're always one of the blue buds. You're always right, you know, in the conversation. But then you've got these weird sort of two or three year dips. The Alvin Ellis era, we'll call it. Sorry, Alvin. But the, and then Jeez, now we. <laughs> I, I'm really sorry, but that's just the first player that pops into my mind. He was he, he had his moments. I'm sorry if you listen. I can't imagine you do, but either way. Um, and then we've had kind of this little this little dip in the era. I'm not going to name names, but the, each time coming out of that, you had. Miles Bridges, right? You had Jaron Jackson. You had Tom just kind of flip his head, flip this switch in his mind. He's like, well, okay, I'm, I'm tired of not having the best of the best. And he gets lucky on the recruit, not lucky, but he gets, he lands his guys on the recruiting trail. He gets a catch as Winston. And all of a sudden you're looking at a deep loaded team that keeps players around for a few years and can contribute again. I think this year it's kind of the culmination of, a roster that was maybe not where he wanted it to be growing up and riding momentum from last year, plus this injection of youth. Plus, you can just tell by what he's doing on the recruiting trail that he's not going anywhere. Uh-huh. And so he's out there pounding the pavement, trying to get the best of the best. The names that he is going after in 2024 and 25 already are huge when you look at the offer list and just the names that get batted around. Um, Tom's clearly thinking about the future, but because he's already in these conversations, if you make this year a Final Four run, a Big Ten championship, a national championship type of banner hanging season, what that does for the next five years of Michigan State's program could be indescribable. Like it, it, it could, it would cement you once again. Everybody always, I think Michigan State's kind of typically in basketball, like the first team out of the blue blood conversation, which we all obviously take umbrage to, but you go and do this. There's no question 
And then all of a sudden it's, do I really want to go to Duke when I could go to Michigan State? Do I want to go to North Carolina when I could go to Michigan State? Those are conversations that already happen and have decisions that have been made many times over the years. But, you know, kind of coming out of this little dip in form the last two years, I mean, if if you do what you could do, it just, I, I don't know. It's honestly, it's, Ironically, it's sort of like what <laughs> and this is all with a big asterisk next to us, but it's kind of like what Michigan football did, where they were bad, right? And I'm not saying Tom is a stealing signs, but I'm saying that you know they 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 had this dip in form, and then all of a sudden they came through and they delivered on what people expected of them. And now you're looking at a team, again, big asterisk here, that's in line to make a college football playoff potentially for the third year in a row. I'm saying that Michigan State could be right at the, the 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 beginning of that same wave here, with even more success preceding it. And what that does from a recruiting perspective, what it does from a talent retention perspective, uh, and in a, a amount of money—not that this university needs more money, but the money that could come in to support this program—it's uh, it's hard to describe what it could do and uh the impact that it could have so yeah no pressure guys but big opportunity here uh in front of you for this season and beyond one game at a time and that's something you're gonna have to keep reminding me is (laughs) one one half at a time one play at a time because losing my mind a little bit last last uh sunday so probably uh a good preview do you want to jump over to uh the football side of the things yeah, you know who else is losing their mind? Uh-oh. The entire the entire world that's following whatever the hell is is going on at the University of Michigan. Listen, before we like we should talk Michigan State before we do that. But let's not kid ourselves and say that that story is not the entire story as it comes to college football. Michigan State to to sorry, John, go ahead. No, it's 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 it, Michigan State finds themselves in the middle of it again uh i thought we had left after the 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 game with michigan but we're they pull us back in with the the latest um transgressions from ann arbor but go ahead we'll yeah well since we left you so we'll just say michigan state lost to minnesota michigan state is a bad team jordan hall is really good the linebacker hope he sticks around um Tyrell Henry looked good. Sam Levitt, I think we saw, has a big-time arm and has some legs, too. Don't know. I, again, I, I feel bad. I, I don't want to – this isn't a disservice to you all, the listeners, but I don't truly know how much it's worth unpacking what's happening the rest of this football season. I've said it a few weeks in a row now because we just have no idea what it's going to look like. We don't know who the coach is going to be. Maybe one thing to double-click on here really quickly before we change lanes is – there does continue to be smoke around Urban Meyer. I have no idea what it means. It's the internet. It's led by crazy people, people I enjoy quite a bit, but like crazy people sometimes. And I just don't know. I have no idea what to believe is possible. But the fact that it keeps getting brought up and isn't like openly denied by anyone, like the only thing Urban Meyer, who is notoriously untrustworthy with his commitments, has said is I'm not interested. Like I don't. That's not worth a thing. It's not worth a, the the piece of internet paper it was typed upon. So there does continue to be smoke. I wouldn't rule it out. I'm slightly more in the camp of it could happen than I was when we deemed it just 
funny talk. But um, that's, I think, all the Michigan State that we really honestly need to talk. It, with the exception of now, the fact that Michigan State is once again, well, no, not really once again, but for the first time, we're squarely in the middle of this Michigan sign stealing scandal. Um, the latest development is that it appears, on top of everything else that he has done, Connor Stallions was potentially, or a very close body double, on the sidelines at Spartan Stadium on the Central Michigan sidelines wearing glasses at night that potentially were recording the game from the sideline. Couple things here. First, I'm flattered that he felt like Michigan State was a team he needed to go scout. And like, thanks, <laughs> man. Like, it's a nice, nice little vote of confidence that someone thought this season could go okay. Um, but if if this is true, like I've said this about a few different things, but like if this is true, I I I'm getting to the point now where this the, the amount of evidence is so overwhelming that I, I'm I don't know that a good old fashioned death penalty, which I don't think will ever happen again. I don't think it should be off the table, though. I really don't like. I, it should Definitely. be like, I, I'm not saying that you should do it. I'm not saying that they will do it. It's Michigan. I think the brand is too big. It's mm -hmm. not SMU, but the brand's too big. Mm -hmm. But there should be like a legitimately severe penalty here. And, and it's not it's not because I'm a you know Michigan State alum and fan and all that, but like if a Michigan supporter was honest with themselves, like you you're toying with like the very fabric of the reason why you're out there. Like recruiting's different. Everybody's cheated in recruiting forever. Even stealing signs isn't technically illegal. But as I said last week, I don't even, I support cheating, but like you can't get caught. And if you're gonna get caught this sloppily, dude, all of this has come out in a span of like two weeks. Mm -hmm. It's mind blowing how fast it's coming out, which means you are the sloppiest person in the world, which means you're making it so easy for people to pile on. And it's not going to stop. And if you th again, if you think that the Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State fan base are going to let this go, you're crazy. You've already Washington, Oregon, Tennessee. Again, pray to God you didn't go to Florida State. Like <laughs> these these fan bases will not let this go, and the head coaches will not let this go. I mean, oh, I just if. It, like Michigan had a bye week this week and is still the only story in college football. It is yeah. not, it is, it is very, very bad. And I just don't, again, like I'm not endorsing that they should come through on a death penalty, but like the punishment needs to fit the crime. And this crime is, you know, it's not criminal. So it, using the word crime in a, in a less serious context than actual crime, but like, as it pertains to cheating in college football, this is as bad and as blatant as it could be. And I just don't know how you, like as a Big Ten, as an organization, how you justify not banning them immediately. They were cheating this year. He was on the sidelines filming Michigan State. Like, not only do you have that, you have the tickets that he purchased to Ohio State, Penn State. They were doing it until they got caught, which means you should punish them immediately. And I, again, Michigan better hope they don't lose 
Because if they lose, yep. like, I don't know if this happens if they keep winning, just because I think TV forces will come into play and it's yep. very possible that they get through this season with nothing happening and then it all happens retroactively. Yeah. Because something's going, there's just too much for something not to happen. Yeah. But if they lose a game, you're opening the door and that you, they are going to be suspended from postseason play the second that they, that scoreboard hits zero. Yeah, you're right. That is what they've got going for is money and brand and that. <clears throat> If when you can when you can no longer bring that to the table, um, that's that's troubling for you. Uh, don't let the Michigan fan in your life tell you that Connor Stallions acted as a rogue operation. Oh, like, ask them to think about that like critically. Ask them to put themselves in the place of work and having someone on your team, uh, their team who is really, really good at something, excellent at it, actually, and ask them if they would ever consider talking to that employee about how and why they're so great at that one thing. If you think that the offensive and defensive coordinators never said to themselves, wow, this guy is better at this sign-stealing thing than anyone I've ever come across in my career. You know what? Probably not even going to ask about it. That's insanity because these coaches want to get better at things too. Of course, they're going to want to learn and how and why it's happening. If the moment they know that what's happening is not above board, amid all of these NCAA like infractions that Michigan has to t- tighten it up, you know, and they did the opposite of that. And that's either hubris or ignorance. And if you think that, there were no coaches, people that managed this guy didn't know, then you're just being naive because that's just not how the world works. So I have no doubt that this guy probably thought of all of this stuff. I don't think he was directed to do any of it because it was so dumb at how he... Mm. I would like to think that he... I will give the benefit of the doubt that he may have come up with some of the poor tactics but to to think that no one on the staff is completely aware of what was going on is just willfully ignorant and kind of catering to a cult-like uh, uh, existence if you want to live in the world of of you know blue color and maize colored glasses. Like at a certain point, get real. So uh, unfortunately for Jim Harbaugh, he has been harboring um, this type of shit. Uh, at his program for a while and the whole everybody does it thing well everybody doesn't seem to get caught and it doesn't mean that everyone's out to get you it means you're terrible at it so uh there have to be repercussions whether they happen or not um as we talked about is completely up in the air the repercussions may happen later you know after the season plays out and um the one thing that you a michigan state fan has (laughs) is the fact that uh, the 49 to zero loss has an asterisk and every single game Michigan plays forever um, will also carry an asterisk because of the transgressions that have taken place. And that's funny and that you can laugh about that <laughs> and you can remind your Michigan friends in your life about that because it is hysterical that they no longer get to carry the moral high ground, which is the one thing that many of the Michigan fans in my life love to cling to. They no longer have that, and now they're just a regular 
cheating program. So they're really nobody in a, in a sea of, of awesome programs. We will, uh, they are just like everybody else, um, except for they got caught. So uh, go ahead. What they are is they're frauds. Frauds. It's, it, it, they're frauds. They're frauds. They are perpetrating as if they belong in a certain tier of college football program that they had to run the most intricate, sloppy, somehow genius and somehow absurdly stupid sign-stealing plot of all time in recorded sports history, not college football, sports. They had to operate that in order to get into this tier, which means they, they don't belong here. It's like run, somebody running a Ponzi scheme. That's what this is. It's, 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 um, what's his name? The guy who, the, the, the Citibank guy, it's the same deal or what the guy who bought the Mets yep. and you know what I'm talking about? I can't remember his name, but it's, it is a, it is a Ponzi scheme. It is a lie. <laughs> it is a farce. It is a fraud. That's, that's what these last three years are because they were stealing everyone's side. It's easy to beat teams when you know exactly what they're going to do. I read an athletic article this morning where it was, I think it was Bruce Feldman interviewed like 50 anonymous coaches. And one guy, I think it was a coordinator from the Big Ten, said something about like, oh, in 2021, Ojabo and Hutchinson knew what was coming. They had hand signals to know what was coming from a run or a pass. Like, again, yeah. there's some some blurry lines there. It's not impossible to think that they, you know, again, science feeling not technically illegal. Maybe they figured it out on the fly. But like, when you're right every time, mm-hmm. like, something a little bit suspicious there so uh, until proven otherwise this is uh, typically i'm like innocent until proven, proven guilty but when the 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 facts are so damning and overwhelming and they just keep coming like how about the how about central michigan by the way just for the, this is the most damning part of the whole thing cmu could have squashed this entire thing right off the bat because yeah. if they recognized that guy they would have been like, no, that's Tim. Yep. That's that's Bill. He's an associate like yep. towel guy. It's like, no, we're looking into it. We're taking this very seriously. They addressed it. Jim McElwain addressed it in his press conference last night. Like, that is not that is not the sign that you've done something correct. That is maybe the biggest red flag of this whole thing. Like yep. you've got every major sports college football, every major college football social media account is talking about it. Like you are squarely in the crosshairs. I watched sports center for the first time in probably like 10 years last night. Cause it was just on when I turned my TV on. Yeah. Um, and it was literally something about the Michigan recruiting scandal, or not recruiting Michigan science dealing scandal. Like you are, you are in the crosshairs for a reason and something is going to happen. And yes, to your f- friends who are Michigan fans, you always have that trump card. They can say 49 nothing. You could say, well, it's easy to beat people when you know exactly what plays they're going to run. Ends every single conversation, every single one. So enjoy that. Hopefully we'll be able to, you know, flex on them about basketball season pretty soon here too. But yeah, it's weird, John. I think for the first time we are on the moral high ground with <laughs> Michigan. And it's, uh, I kind of see why they liked it. It's kind of nice. Oh, how the table turns. Um <laughs> All right, a lot went down last week. I don't know if we're going to have time to go through um, yeah. all of it. So, so maybe we'll just jump to the big ones this week. Um, as far as playoffs are concerned, uh, Mizzou uh, at Georgia. 
Missouri quietly 14th in the country, Austin. Um, and yeah. Georgia number two in the uh, official rankings this week uh, behind Ohio State. So a statement game for the Bulldogs. Big time. Uh, one that would probably shore up. Well, they have a lot of big games potentially the rest of the way in terms of like playoff implications. But Mizzou, I'm just trying to, I'm saying Eli Drinkwitz. I know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You're right. Go beat um, Georgia and you might not have a chance. It's true. Um, Washington at USC, the Trojans have completely fallen apart. They beat Cal 50 to 49. I. I don't know how Alex – I know we say the joke every week, but, like, Alex Grinch needs to be fired. Like, it's got to stop. 49 points to Cal. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a joke anymore. Like, if I was a USC fan, you would think with the amount of money that their yeah. donors and alumni base has that they could do something about this. But, again, I, I think he's got just, like – maybe USC has been doing the same thing or, or, Kip, or uh, um, their head coach has been doing the same thing since Oklahoma and he knows about it and he's going to break that wide open. Like that must be what Grinch has on him. Otherwise I I don't know. Um, The other big uh, heavyweight matchup, LSU at Alabama um, favorite game every year, Mm -hmm. Bama three point favorite. And um, on the inside track, you know, quietly if they went out to a playoff push, um, what do you think here? Yeah, I mean, Bama's inevitable, right? This is just where we end up every year, is they're just sitting right there waiting for somebody else to screw up. LSU's offense is um, big time, though. So I think the thing that would scare me if I'm Bama is, can I keep up with LSU? Because LSU's going to score, and Bama's challenge thus far this year has been doing that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm once again going back to it's Bama until it isn't, and, like, their one losses to Texas, who is number seven in the country. So, I mean, they're still a pretty damn good team. Um, it's Bama until it isn't, but LSU is going to give them a run, I think. Here's one more just fun college football thing to keep an eye on. Uh, Texas A&M, five and three at Ole Miss. I bring this one up because we are closing in fast on, you know, Jimbo um, getting get bought out watch. And uh, this is not – this is – Something I read on a message board. I'm not endorsing it. I just thought it was just going to share for the insanity of college football fandom. Someone said, you know, why why do we need to do a $75 million, $76.8 million buyout? A hitman is $75 million cheaper. <laughs> my jaw. <laughs> like, whew. Do you think yeah, they, they boy. like football, buddy? Wow. So, yeah. Oh, uh, can I say another fan base Michigan should be very hopeful they did not <laughs> run a foul up because that is some, yeah, literally some very, very troubling advice from a message board. Yeah, not endorsing it, but like, again, your point, you think people aren't crazy? Dude. You think people don't take this seriously? You're kidding. Yourself. upvoted that. People were like, yo, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I bring this game up, too, because um, if Jimbo were to part ways, you know, or Texas a were to part ways with Jimbo, Mike Elko becomes a very big candidate for them. Yeah. I don't know if he's a big enough hire for Texas A&M, but we know he was a coordinator there and is having success at Duke. I, I just thought that would be of interest to Michigan State. Can I float the, the domino that I would like to see fall? Yeah. I would like to see Dabo 
fall to them. I that would be just so many things about that would be so funny because I think it would go so poorly that yes. it would just be like, man, this is everyone would be like, remember Iron Dabble was at AM? Like it's that yeah. it's like when you see Shaq in a Cavs jersey yes. or like uh you know what I mean? Something yes. random or Patrick Ewing in a magic jersey, you're like, yes. what? Like, yeah, that happened. Yeah. It was terrible. It was sad. Yeah. The other one is if Ole Miss beats Texas A&M by enough, they may just go take Lane Kiffin this weekend. Uh, dude, honestly, it's definitely not off the table. I mean, Lane, I think, would for sure be, be on the list. I, don't, I can't think of a bigger cultural mismatch, but which kind of makes me just want to see it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that is one thing for Michigan State fans to, to be aware of is, like, there could be a big dog or two in that true top, you know, 10, 15 program, big money layer yep. that lets a coach go. And, you know, much as I hate to say it, like they're getting their pick of the litter. So yep. if one of them calls Urban Meyer yep. and Michigan State's actually serious about it, yeah, I, you know, we, we might see which way that goes. But, yeah, there could be other names that come available. All right. <clears throat> Not many fun things in the Big Ten this week, so um, we can jump straight to uh, – that Nebraska at Michigan State game, honestly, this is where, like, if you you get to, to – this is your sicko membership card game. Like, if you are still watching this, buddy, you have earned that membership card. Um, yeah. Our friend at Coronation, I think Sheehan interviewed him, uh, yep. which is so awesome. Please go watch. That dude rules. That guy has earned his sicko card. So um, this game's going to be awful. Uh, Nebraska can run the ball pretty well. Uh, Matt Rule is is doing the, the Shiano right now, though. As Nebraska is bad, they are starting to win games that they've lost under their last, you know, Scott Frost era. You know, so that is they're beating teams they should beat, like Purdue. Um, Michigan mm-hmm. State is another team that Nebraska should be, and they're taking steps forward quickly, which you should feel good about if you are a Michigan State fan, because it can turn around quickly. Yeah, uh, they don't throw the ball. Nope. So that is that is one thing that maybe works in Michigan State's favor this weekend, is that um, they don't appear to have answered the quarterback question. Henrik Harburg is bad yes i you know listen i don't like to use words like that but yes he's bad these um, kids are paid now you can say a little bit not, yeah good point he's not bad. like a really mean but you can say like little mean he's bad he's bad um I, they run the ball a ton i mean they ran the ball 48 times last week 39 the week before against you know purdue and northwestern respectively again listen if i if this is the michigan state team i thought we would have coming into the season you know, I I wouldn't rule out the chance that they could win, but this team's lost what six games in a row. Uh, it's mm-hmm. and hasn't put up much of a fight in any of them, with the exception of Rutgers and maybe technically Iowa. So, um, I mean, you're playing for pride at this point, right? Like, you're not making a bowl game unless you somehow beat Nebraska, Indiana, and pull off a miracle against Ohio State, Penn State. I'm very confidently saying neither of those things are happening. No. Nope. Um, so. You're, you're playing for pride, right? Like, is it Caden Hauser? Is it Sam Levitt? I think that's an interesting question to ask. But, um, yeah, man, we're getting to the point where it's just, like you said, John, you're, you, if you are watching this game from beginning to end on Saturday, your sicko card is laminated. 
it's gold plated and is in the mail coming to you straight from the sicko alliance because it's uh yeah it's it's about as grim it, it's it you know no need to beat the dead horse here but michigan hasn't had michigan state hasn't had uh, since their first two games they haven't had anyone throw from 200 yards they haven't had anyone r- rush they had carter rush for over 101 time and they have yet to even including the first two games have a 100 yard receiver I I have a hard time seeing this team scoring enough points to beat Nebraska, um, even if Nebraska is a bad team. So I think again, just the silver lining here, as we as we call it an episode, is you've seen what can happen when you have a coach who has an has a style that they commit to and can get the buy-in of his team over time, despite some early struggles. Nebraska's played an easy schedule, sure, but John, to your point. They've beaten the teams they should beat. They're five and one since their initial first two games of the season. Uh, sitting at five and three could very possibly, with Michigan State, Maryland, Wisconsin, and Iowa left, end up. It could very easily end up eight and four. And they for Nebraska, the they can win the West. And for a team, for a program like Nebraska, a program like Michigan State, that's where your aim should be. So. Um, yeah, you you look to this program and you think, okay, maybe we can do that in year one with a decent uh, with a decent head coach hire. It helps to play Big Ten West teams in your crossover as much as they. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But hey, uh, you know, we'll be there. Uh, we'll talk about it next week. And and you know, if you're ever having a moment of panic or a crisis on Saturday as you watch another mind-numbing Jay Johnson performance, just remind yourself that Monday. Uh, is Michigan State tips off against James Madison. Let's go, baby. Basketball season officially here. We can all be happy about that. All right. All right, guys. As always, thanks for sticking with us. For John, it's been Austin. Catch you next week. See you.